Jeremiah chapter 39. While we're turning there, I have a thought that came to me while we're singing these hymns today. Many would say, why are you singing these old hymns? The music is so out of style. We don't sing like that anymore and blah, blah, blah. There's a message in there. If you can look past, you know, some of those those kind of details and look past that, there's a message. You know, so we sing these hymns here every other week because there's a message in them from ages past that's still uh, appropriate today, still applies to today. Draw me near to the cross where thou hast died. Uh, lead me to Calvary. This this is a message of telling us the way, you know, this is the way to connect with God. It's through Calvary, through the blood of Jesus. And and many of these hymns uh, have that message in them. And so, there's a message not just from this generation, but we see that from generations past. That this is not a new message. It's a, you know, some of these hymns go back to the 1400s and so forth, and 1500s, and, and so... We see that in all these different generations, they see the same thing. They see a message that's eternal. And a message that is ageless and timeless. Jeremiah chapter 39, verse 15. Meanwhile, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, To verse 18, I'm sorry. Go and speak to Ebed-Melech and the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord. And you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword. But your life shall be as a prize to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. If we listen to this message, that's contained in this particular Passage. God is about to bring judgment to Israel, to the nation of Judah. And it's God's judgment he brings Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, because Judah has fallen into idol worship and all kinds of immorality and ungodliness. And God's prophets told him judgment is coming. But he to Jeremiah and to this man here, this Ethiopian, Jeremiah says, give him this message. He says, I will surely deliver you. You shall not fall by his sword, but your life shall be a prize to you because you have put your trust in me. And that's the name of this message today. Because you have put your trust in me. 
there is a connection between what we believe and where we put our trust and what we receive. We often talk about in Ephesians chapter uh, 3, where it says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. What's going on inside of us? And that's, is it, is it faith going on inside of us? Or doubt and mistrust and unbelief? Is there hardness in our heart to the Word of God? Because that's what this message is all about. Judgment came against Judah and Israel because of their hardness of heart towards the Word of God. They didn't believe it. God spoke about Israel's being a people in whom is no faith. It's not because God hadn't given them reason to trust Him, but they hardened their heart to the things they saw and heard. And this is a message to us because we see dark clouds on, on the horizon in this world. We see that judgment is coming. And Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. When it came to the judgment that's coming. Who turned back in her heart to the place where judgment was coming. Her heart was in the wrong place. The message of the ten virgins, five are foolish, five are wise, five were unprepared, five were, were prepared for the coming of their master. And the, and the message is for today, to be ready, Jesus said, because he is coming as a thief in the night. And so we look at this message to this Ethiopian man that God gives Jeremiah to give to him. He says, judgment's not going to come upon you because you trust in me. Because you trust in me. We trust in Jesus. We trust in the blood of Jesus for forgiveness of our sins, for deliverance, and for our help in this life and when we stand face to face before God. Because it is appointed for man once to die, and after this the judgment. And so the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, cleanses from all sin. We put our trust in Him. And we are called to put our trust in Him for our life, for our future. For our every day. Now people will say, you know... I can't be praying every minute of my day. I've got things to do. I, I can't have all this stuff in our mind, uh, you know, my mind all the time. But there's such a thing as committing our way to the Lord. When it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not to your own understanding, acknowledge Him in all of your ways, and He will direct, He will guide your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. We want to think about this. We often meditate on this because it's very important and it affects every area of our life. It says all of our heart. To trust Him with all of our heart. Not part of our heart, but all of our heart. This is an all-in proposition. That I'm all in to follow Jesus. And I'm all in for His guidance and His deliverance and His direction in my life. 
to be a light to my path and a, a lamp to my path, a light to my feet. I think it's the other way around. Lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I want that for my life. I'm committed to that. Lean not to my own understanding, my own logic. The logic of men, the wisdom of men, the psychology of men. Not to lean on that. Doesn't mean they're never right. It's different than leaning on somebody. We have the hymn that says, Learning to Lean on Jesus. I remember a Christian brother who was in terrible straits when I was a young Christian. And I said to him, Jim, how you doing? And he said, I'm learning to lean, brother. Learning to lean on Jesus. You know, I can't even talk about some of the things that man was facing. But God brought him through it. And God will bring us through whatever we have to face, too. If we don't lean on our own understanding, our own logic, our own, our own reasoning, our own uh, intelligence. Yes, they're there for a reason, but don't lean on them. Don't lean on them. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways, and He will direct your path. You know, there's great confidence that we can have if we call on Him, if we draw close to Him and, and, and pour out our heart to Him about our life. You know, as a young person or old, doesn't matter. But, you know, a young person has his whole life in front of him, her whole life in front of her. Where do I go? What do I do? You know, all these things that are, there's so, so many things that we're faced with in life. And you know what? We think that only is when we're young. But it, it, it continues throughout life. And, you know, we can be in confusion our whole life. You know, the confusion of childhood and teenage years can, can, can go through a whole life. And just continue and continue and continue. And never stop. Just be on the merry-go-round of confusion. But here it says this. If we acknowledge Him in all of our ways, He will direct our path. And we can say, well, I've been praying and I'm acknowledging Him, but where's His direction? We can have confidence if we do our part. That He is directing us. And all the confusion and all the anxiety and all the angst of life will cease. Because we have this one, we have this thing, this confidence that we have acknowledged Him and now He's going to direct our path. And He's going to give us, He's going to put thoughts in our head. He's going to show us different things. He's going to guide us through life. And He's going to, there's going to be things along the way. It says, turn to the left, turn to the right. As it says in the book of Isaiah, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, turn to the left or the right. And we may not audibly hear that voice, but there's going to be messages sent to us in different ways and in different circumstances. We will see things in the Word of God. Things will happen, and we will discern the will of God and the Word of God as we walk in His Spirit, as we walk with Him. Well, I'm not walking with him right now and I'm in a lot of confusion. Well, now, now you know what to do. Now you know what the problem is. You know, walk with him. Draw near to the cross of Christ. Draw near to Calvary and we will be connecting with the person 
who died on Calvary. The blood of Jesus connects us between us. It's the connection between us and the Father. It says Jesus suffered for sins to bring us to the Father. So that he might bring us to the Father. The connection between us and God is through blood. The blood of the Son of God. The next one is in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 10. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Well, there's a very clear picture here, isn't it? Cursed is the man who trusts in man. What does it mean to trust in man? It means to trust in man, like any man, to lean on the wisdom of man, whether it's our own man, ourself, our own wisdom, or the wisdom of others. And you know, there's a lot of that going on in the church, in Christendom. I hate to say it, but that's the fact. I hear it in preachers. I hear it in Christian psychologists. I hear it in, in all kinds of Christian political uh, political endeavors. I hear it over and over and over again in, in the Christian society, if you would call it, or Christendom. The leaning on our own understanding, the logic and it says cursed. It's wrong. It's the wrong way. So is there any evidence of that? In, in real evidence of that? Sure there is. It's all over the Bible. After the fall of Jericho, and you can look, there's a couple examples from the book of Joshua. We won't take the time to go into them, but after the fall of Jericho, what happens? They say, oh, there's just this little city over here. That was a, the big city of Jericho. God made the walls fall down and the whole, the whole army attacked them. But there's only this little town up here. It's called Ai. And you listen to them talking. They say, let's just take, we only need like 3,000 men. And, and you begin to hear this logic. It's a small town. And we're, you know, we don't need a lot of guys. We'll just take 3,000 soldiers and we'll go up there and attack. And that's what they did. 
And it says that they, as they attacked it, it says they ran from the Gibeonites, or from the people of Ai. They ran from them, and 36 of the army was killed. 36 men were killed. And it says that Joshua fell on his face before God, and, it was, and he was completely bewildered. Oh, God, if you just let us stay on the other side of the Jordan River, you know, what is going to happen to us? We're going to be swallowed up by our enemies. And he's in complete despair. And in his heart, he's in retreat. Joshua, the great Joshua, this great leader, in his heart and mind, he's in, he's in retreat. This is one of the two spies who gave the good report when they saw the giants and they saw, you know, before when Moses was still around, sent them in. Give a good report. What's going on here now? God told him, get up, off your, get up off your face. Israel has sinned. And he went through this whole thing of why. But you see, they were presumptuous. They went ahead of God, and they used logic, and they leaned on their own understanding. But if they would have sought God first, God would have given him the message that he gave Joshua. But you hear them talking... Oh, that's just this little city, and we don't need a lot of people. And they got beat up. And they got embarrassed, and they got bewildered. And they were in retreat. They were scared and in fear. What's going to happen to us? But if only they would have sought God before that. And God would have told him, I'm not going to be with you, because something has happened here. The next example is also in Joshua. Because after they destroy the city of Ai, when they follow God's instructions, and, tell, and God tells them how to <clears throat> overcome Ai, then the Gibeonites, they're scared. They hear what God's doing. They hear how the Israelites had crossed the Jordan River and what God had done for them in Egypt and how they op God opened up the Red Sea and Forty years later, how God opened up the Jordan River for them to cross it on dry land. And how Jericho had fallen out. Ai thought, they're scared. The city of Gibeon is scared. So they deceive Israel and have them make a treaty with them. So they don't hurt them. And they swear with an oath. And God said, before they cross over the Jordan, make no covenant with any of these peoples of the land of Canaan. And here they've done it. What happened? How did they fall into this trap? If you read and listen to the story of Joshua, it says that these Gibeonites came with old beat-up clothes and old bread that was moldy and water bottles that were all dried and cracked. And, and it says that uh, we come from a far country, far away. And look, all this bread was fresh when we came and these clothes, you know, and look at our sandals are all torn up and, and the water bottles were new when we came and everything. Now look at us now. And the telltale message is this. It says they looked at the bread that was moldy. It says they looked at these people and they made a treaty with them, but they did not seek counsel from God. And three days later they discovered, oh, these people are right from over there in the land of Canaan. They're Gibeonites. They had fallen trapped, fallen into the trap of leaning on their own understanding. This message is a message that is for today. About leaning on our own understanding. 
The next one is when David, after he had peace with all of his enemies, after God gave him victory over all of his enemies, and he was ruler over all of Israel and Judah, Nathan the prophet comes to him, and he says to Nathan the prophet, he says, God has done all this for me. I want to build a temple for God. And Nathan's response is, God is with you. Do that. all that is in your heart. And then, when Nathan was on his bed that night, God said to him, Go tell my servant David, you will not build a house for me, but the son after you will build it. So Nathan had to go back with a red face <clears throat> and say to his king, David, uh, God says, you're not going to build it. Your son's going to build it. How did Nathan make such a mistake? A man who God had spoken through many times. God had worked through many times. How did that happen? He didn't seek God's counsel on it. He just leaned on his logic. God's with you. Go ahead and do it. That makes sense. That's great. We make this mistake all the time. Until God wises us up and begins to show us the error of our ways when we start blowing up our life and making mistakes and shooting up shooting ourselves in the foot and and you know and being bewildered and you know and you know and we're in our face before God. God what happened? Where are you? And all this other stuff, you know, and we we making all these errors and you know we're confused or we don't know which way is God's way. Yeah, we make this mistake until we learn to stop making this mistake and to acknowledge Him in all of our ways, to seek God to direct our life instead of leaning on our own understanding, walking in pride and choosing our own way and, and choosing our own will over the will of God. We make, <clears throat> we make decisions based on our own will and our own logic. It is a war between the flesh and the spirit. Our flesh, our carnal mind, and the Spirit of God. It's not a new thing. In here, it talks a man, man who leans on his, makes flesh his strength. He trusts in himself. He trusts in his wisdom. He trusted his resources, like we saw in these things that Israel did. It says it's a it's a desert. That place is a desert. You ever feel like your Christian life is a desert? Like you can't find your way and it's dry and we're not in touch with God and things are not right and things are upside down and inside out. A salt land which is cannot be inhabited. A bad place. There's no life there. We don't find any life in that place. We're not listening to God. We're not following the leading of the Spirit when these things happen. Now we all read this in the Word of God, but many of us have experienced this in our life. So we know this place. We we've been in this place. Some of us have not recognized it, but have been in this place. Blessed is the man, verse 7, whose trust is in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. 
Mm. Our hope is God, not just in God. Our hope is Him. He is our hope. And there's great blessing for trusting what He says. It may not make sense. We don't see how it's all going to work out. We can't figure out how God could do this, that, or the other thing. You know, stop it. Stop. We have to stop leaning on our understanding. And acknowledge Him and let Him direct our path. Well, how could He do that? How, you know, I don't see that leading. I don't see what He's doing. It doesn't matter. He'll show us if we trust Him. What, you know, why I'm not seeing it. It's okay. We have to be patient. We have to wait on God. Wait for His answer. Wait for His guidance. Wait for His deliverance. We read a couple weeks ago, those who wait on God, He will renew their strength. There's a waiting period. We don't want to wait. Follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We receive and inherit the promises of God through believing God and continuing to believe God in patience and waiting in patience and waiting, have faith and waiting. And so how is God going to do all this? I don't know. If each of us laid out their life right now and said, well, how's God going to figure this out? I don't know. I don't have an answer to most of that. Some of it's in the Word of God, a lot of it isn't. I don't know, but He knows. He knows. And if we would acknowledge Him and wait for Him and trust Him along the way, He'll show us. Because we trust Him. Because we trust Him. He will show us if we trust Him. And it says that we will be like a tree that's planted by the river. You know, it says even in the time of drought, when it's not raining, it doesn't matter. You don't need to be water because you're right there. You're at the river. The last place to dry out is the lakes and the rivers. If you're out in the middle of the field, you're going to need somebody to dump buckets of water on your tree. But if that tree is planted by the river, it's going to be a long time for that thing to dry down. You know, the, river is good. the river is going to outlast the drought. And the roots are right there. And it says, because of that, because we're connected in faith with the Lord. What are these times of drought? The year of drought. We will not fear when the heat comes. We will not cease yielding fruit. That's life. Life is full of problems. The droughts and the heat and the hail and the winter. Life is full of problems. But if we would trust Him through those problems, we will not stop bearing fruit. Because we're right there connected with Him. Just like the tree that's planted by the river is connected with the river. We're at the source. We're at the source of life. Not out in the desert. When we're not trusting God, we're out in the desert and we feel that way. 
our, our walk with God feels dry and crumbly. And then it says something right after that, after it talks about cursing, I mean, trusting and not trusting God, cursing and blessing is set before us. What's it say right after that? The heart is deceitfully wicked above everything. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? But I search the heart. What is God searching the heart for? I test the mind or the inward parts or the most secret parts. He's testing and looking. Are we trusting him? Because he's going to give us according to what we believe. He's going to do to us according to what we believe. Is there a heart of faith? Are we trusting what he says? If we're not, we're out in the desert. We feel that desert. If we're trusting him, we're walking in faith, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, we're in a good place. Our leaves are green, not wilting. We're bearing fruit, no matter what's going on around us. We're bearing fruit. Why? Because we trust Him. The third one is in Psalm 37. Verses 39 and 40. But the salvation of the righteousness is from the, of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Because, here it is again, because they trust Him. Deliverance comes through faith and trust for eternal life and for help in this life. <coughs> for deliverance in this life from the devil all the work of the evil one, the problems of life, from unreasonable people, from demonic influences, from people, from the fear and the anxieties of life. There's no one who's immune to these things. I can remember as being in my mid-teens and being scared of every kind of disease from worldly influence my dad used to put all these medical shows on tv people had cancer and stroke and heart attack and all these things and you're a little kid watching this stuff and, uh, you you know you feel a little pain like, oh, like cancer and, so this is all unreasonable sure <coughs> but it's evil influence and i didn't find relief until I came to know the Lord, came to the cross, and released from the fear of death, bound by the devil. 
The Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust Him. You see that trusting God for eternal life is not an option. And you see trusting God in this life is not an option if we want His help. But if we lean on our own understanding, and we lean on the psychology of this world, and the wisdom of this world, and the politics of this world, and the, and the guidance from Christendom <coughs> that differs from the Word of God, we won't find peace and deliverance in those things. We'll find confusion and trouble. Because it's the flesh. Because they trust him. Uh, if you go earlier to the beginning of the psalm, Psalms, uh, Psalm 37, verses 1 to 7, let me read them. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herbs. Trust in the Lord, and do good. Dwell in the land, and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Mm -hmm. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Feed on his faithfulness. Trust in the Lord and then follow him. Do what he says. Do good. Follow the leading and the of the Spirit, be empowered by His Holy Spirit, He will give us the power to do everything He tells us to do. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and you'll bring it to pass. There is such safety and peace in committing your way to Him and just... Lord, I don't know how you can do this. I don't know where the whys and the wherefores. I'm trusting you for my life. If we can trust Him for our eternal soul, our eternity, can't we trust Him for this short time here? This whatever many years we have here? It's the... It's the time before eternity. The short time before eternity. <clears throat> and what's the problem? The problem is, is that we follow our, our senses, our flesh. What we see. We put our trust in what we see and hear. What's going on around us. <clears throat> We're moved by things of this life. And there's a difference between walking by faith and by sight. Apostle Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. 
not by what we see in here. We walk by what the Word of God says. Walking means living. You know, we're living by these things. We're living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. As Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Those words were spoken by Moses, I believe. And Jesus repeated them. Living by them means we're trusting in them and we're ordering our life according to them. Committing our way to Him. Committing your way to the Lord. Not being self that well, this looks right, that looks right, and I like this, and I like that. I want to do this. I want to be this for my kids, and I want to do that for them. And, you know, I want to do this on my job and my career, and I, you know, and I want people to see me this way and that way. Stop it. Commit our way to God. To His will. Not our will. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Well, one of the things you're going to notice if you've been a Christian for a while is that if you delight yourself in the Lord, some of your desires are going to change. You know, as we walk with Him, and he gives us the desires of our heart. Some of those desires change. Because he shows us that some of the desires are not good for us. We're not good for others. We're not according to his will. Some of them are. And he will give us that. That's part of trusting that he knows better. And he knows. He knows what's best for us. First Samuel... God says to the prophet Samuel, as Samuel leans on his own understanding, when he goes to anoint the next king of Israel, after Saul had fallen from God's grace, and he was going to choose a new king, God sends him to the sons of Jesse. And Samuel sees the first son of Jesse. As he comes before him, and he says, Surely, God's anointed stands before him. God says, I rejected him. Samuel, prophet Samuel, prophet of God, leaned on his own understanding. Common sense, ununderstanding. He was leaning on it to provide the next king of Israel. And God said, nope, it's not him. I've rejected him. Because, listen to what God says, man does not see as God sees. Man looks upon the outward appearance. God looks upon the heart. We don't see naturally the way that God sees. It is only as we walk with Him and trust Him and commit our life to Him that we begin to see things differently. We get a new vision of life. We make our decisions differently because we see differently. We walk differently. We live differently. God gives us a new vision. A new heart. A new song. And that's the difference. We see differently as we trust Him. It begins to open our understanding. To spiritual things. Because... If we got, just go according to what we see, we're going to be like the prophets, godly prophets who made mistakes. 
We see Joshua make the mistake. We see Nathan make the mistake. We see the one we just mentioned, Samuel, prophet, make the mistake. Men of God make mistakes. <laughs> all you got to do is lean on your own understanding. Carnal mind. That's all you need. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. <coughs> it doesn't understand the things of God. Neither can it. The flesh and its spirit are at enmity with each other, at war with each other. God opens our understanding as we draw near. The children of God have a new, a new way and a new life in Him. And it says to rest in the Lord and wait in verse 7. We were talking about that earlier. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently. Let Him have the wheel. You just sit in the passenger seat. And we do that for a while. You know, I remember when I was part of Liberty Ministry over here at the, at the prison house. In Eagleville, you know, it's funny how a lot of people can start to think so spiritual when you're behind bars and you lose your freedom and your life is destroyed and you're a mess. And then many call out on God. But when they get out of jail, and they're free. God starts to put their life together. They go back to their old way. What happened? In the prisons they call it jailhouse religion. And so when we give God the wheel to our life, and He starts to put our life back together, there is that tendency to take that wheel back and say, Alright Lord, I'm good. I'm going to get back in the driver's seat here. And we begin to take over again and... <laughs> We start having some fender benders. Mm. Unfortunately, sometimes even head on. Lord, what went wrong? Well, whose hands are on the wheel? Look at the fingerprints. You see your own fingerprints are on the wheel. We're not resting and waiting patiently for God to do what He's promised. Because God's going to do it in His timing and not when we snap our fingers. Do not fret because others are prospering. People of the world, don't worry about that. Those who compare themselves among themselves and by themselves, Paul said, are not wise. It's not wise to compare our life to others, even other Christians. I'm going to stop at this point. I'm going to open up to you, Dave, and the other brothers that have a word from God. I want to